0: This is an interview with Midnight Hellion drummer True Rizzo on Monday, March 14th, 2022 by Nick Perkel Now, True, tell me about getting your very first drum kit.
1: Um, I actually worked all summer long to uh, get my very first set, which was a Tama Imperial Stars uh, drum set. I worked at Burger King when I was 15 and I saved every penny to um, be able to afford the $800 drum set. It's actually thirty bucks short at the end of the season. Um, the owner had actually cut me a break on it, so as because I was a kid and all. And he actually became a really good friend and also a boss to me on several occasions. Um, I still have that set to this day. It's kind of in retirement from playing live because it's um, a set from 1982, and I'm at least the second, if not third, owner. So parts are starting to fall apart. The set and the other thing, but thing's huge. Mm. I love it. Sounds great, uh, but it's just a little too bulky to bring around nowadays, too.
0: Now, what kind of music education have you had from schools and private tutors over the years?
1: Um, Actually, my very first education with music came from my mother. Uh, She taught me how to play the piano at a very young age. When they started having uh, music programs in school, I started taking formal lessons on the violin and uh, also moved over to tenor saxophone and uh, cello in school. And on my own, I took up the drums, bass, and guitar. And kind of, in a way, became addicted to learning how to play instruments. Um, I took the uh, private instruction as well from the band director for a few years during the summer breaks and all that good stuff as well. Um, and in high school, I studied drums under Tony DiNicola. Uh, I actually got accepted into college um, from playing tenor saxophone. Um, unfortunately, that was the last time I actually picked up the instrument. Because a lot of times passed, unfortunately, since then. And uh, drums and guitar kind of took the forefront. What is your sound
0: system like and how often, or how do you listen to music?
1: Oh God, uh, unfortunately, I don't really have too much opportunity to listen to music at home too much anymore. Um, but sound system wise, I have two old PA speakers, which mm. I have, each speaker has uh, three 12 inch speakers in it. So it's, it can get pretty loud and I can't crank it up too, too much because otherwise the needle jumps on the record player. So I always do that in the car test. I always love listening to music in the car because to me, it really does sound purest when you're on the road, especially like if you're listening to like mixes from different tapes and all that stuff, too. So like when we're going back um, to the playback for Kingdom Immortal, I would actually listen on several different stereo systems from like a simple boombox, headphones, computer speakers, uh, the car. And the car was always the ultimate where you had different frequencies you could hear better on there.
0: I know some people like to write in layers. Others like to take sets of riffs and put them together. What's your personal philosophy on songwriting?
1: You know, it's got to let it flow naturally. Uh, if you if you have to force it, it will sound forced. Uh, sometimes it comes in just by riffs. Other times uh, the layers kick in later or initially. Sometimes it just even starts with the lyrics. Personally, I think that whatever works best for the band is key.
0: When it comes to classic albums, Alex... Perialis has been a part of. What are three albums that you know he was the right choice to work with?
1: Speak about each one. <laughs> well, I come prepared. Oh, if you can see that from there. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Nice <laughs> S.O.D. shirt. Yep.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, I would say actually that is one of them right there. The "Speak English or Die" record, as well as Anthrax's "Spraying the Disease." Um, they were done in the same session, so there's some overflow between the two records. To me, March of the SOD, the song is the heaviest riff ever put to tape. And the overall sound from everything from the guitar and bass tones, the snare drum and the cymbal separation made these two of the best records ever put to tape, uh, sonically speaking. Personally, they're two of my favorites too, but just from um, an objective standpoint, I think that just sonically, they are incredible masterpieces. Um, In addition, I would also say the taking over record from Overkill. um, Like Anthrax and SOD, it's the total sound. To me, uh, it sounds the most huge out of all of '80s, uh, all of Alex's '80s work, in my opinion. Just something about it is just so magical and just all encompassing. It's hard to pinpoint, but it's just huge beyond huge. <laughs> um, and when it comes to a third record, I would have to stick with Overkill and go to Under the Influence for one reason and one reason specifically. Um, Alex had captured Dee Dee Verney's signature wet bass tone on this one. Uh, it actually kind of made that my favorite overkill record because of the bass tone itself. Aside from the songs being great, but just the tone of everything was just incredible in there. I love the fact that all of his work is so diverse from record, from band to band and record to record, even like for Speak English and Anthrax, even though the same session and there's overlap and even some of the same people in there there's still a lot of different factors with it like we can tell that they're two different records so you can't necessarily put like march of the sod next to gung-ho and think it's the same album i mean it's just
0: like talking to you like that i mean it's just um with me with my record collection i actually have three different japanese pressings of spreading the disease so i got like the the vinyl um i believe the 1990 japanese cd and also i believe that the 2013 shm cd so it just really really kind of went nuts with that i mean it, i said to myself once i'm gonna get all the japanese pressings of spreading the disease then it just kind of dawned on me like no i need to get other albums but um
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I do the same thing too certain yeah. albums i just have so many different pressings on various formats too it's like if it's a special album it's a special album and you gotta have yeah. it all <laughs>
0: When it came to the music on Kingdom Immortal, what did you say to Alex on your vision on how you wanted the album to turn out? And what were Alex's thoughts on this?
1: Uh, Very early on, uh, we had discussed the sound and how we wanted it to be real. For uh, lack of better terms, to be 100% music in terms of it being real instruments, no plugins, no sampling, uh, just real instruments captured on a real physical uh, mixing console. We wanted to make the record the way it was done in the old days, which was live in the studio, and that's exactly what we did. Uh, We didn't have a click track going, anything like that. It was just energy, and we really wanted to capture the energy. Uh, Alex was 100% on board with this and agreed completely it was the right direction to head in. Uh, We had a lot of fun doing this.
0: Adding on that, so you're saying uh, no songs in the album were done with a click?
1: No, we didn't have the click track going at all. Like there was uh, certain parts of uh, like the double bass, I had to put on a metronome just to make sure that everything was going on like in Phantom Land. And um, what was the other one? Not Rapscallion, I'm sorry, Um, Resurrected. Those two, those parts in there was just like, okay just making sure the bass drum hits were nice and clean and consistent with that. Other than that though, we didn't have the click track going at all. It was just all natural. And we, we rehearsed it so so much beforehand that uh, we had it really locked into the uh, tempos. So when we're doing multiple takes of uh, certain things, we had it all within the same uh, time wave.
0: Now, what tracks changed the most when it came to Alex's influence?
1: Um, actually, all the pre-production was completed when we entered the studio, so nothing really changed in terms of the arrangements themselves. Uh, But what that meant was that we actually had more time to experiment with different sounds and instruments to get the right sound on the right part. So, for example, um, Alex had a huge collection of guitars to choose from, and we brought in our own equipment as well. And (laughs) we really didn't use too much of our own guitars because we had so much fun trying out what Alex had, and most of it actually came back to uh, this one 1980 uh, Les Paul Custom and that made most of the guitar tracks for the rhythm. It made one of the three, um, I'm sorry, not one of the three, um, almost every single lead take. But we also also did uh, change it up to be a different guitar for one of the rhythm tracks. So we did three rhythm tracks on each song um, on average. Sometimes we added a little bit more layers. We added some other things here and there too. Like for example, Army of the Dead, the ending section, we have um, a lot of guitar parts going on in there and uh, we added the chimes. Uh, that was actually performed by one of Alex's students. So like a lot of times it would be, we had the ideas and he had the way to make it done, to get it done. There was a lot of fun we had going back and forth. of Like, mm-hmm. hey, let's try this, let's try that. But yeah, to get back to your, uh, the basic question of it all, like nothing really changed in terms of the original arrangement. It was just adding more color to it.
0: Now, on the album, what's your favorite drum solo as well as guitar solo?
1: Oof! <laughs> you know they're all my favorites <laughs> to be quite honest it's really difficult to pick um if i had to narrow it down drum wise i'd have to say uh Scallion." it really just came out so heavy just something about that it was just really really nice and perfect and punchy and just capture the vibe of it all um guitar solo wise it's difficult to choose but I probably would have to go with HMO.
0: I really dug Phantom Lord for the awesome guitar and drum solos towards the middle of the song. Tell me about the evolution of that track.
1: Uh, That one, uh, back in the writing process of that, uh, our bassist Rich and I were um, in a writing session and we recorded a bunch of ideas. Um, I took them home with me and started arranging Phantom Land into the Guitar Pro program. And it got to a point where most of the ideas uh, that we had at that point were set aside and not used at all as mm-hmm. other parts of the song just came naturally to me when inputting the tabs. So I actually got to the point where I had to hum ideas into a recorder real quick, just so I wouldn't forget while tabbing out the riffs and the arrangements. So it really just was one of those songs that came together completely naturally after the uh, spawning from the original idea itself. And it just became something really, really cool. And the other cool part about it is there's a bunch of ideas that weren't used, so they'll be used for future compositions.
0: In Sickness and in Hell was my favorite track on the album. How'd this one come to be? Oh
1: Man, I love that song, too. Uh, hell, we love them all. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: uh, Rich came in with the riffs for that one, and um, I'd helped him with the arrangement. It really wasn't too, too much that changed, uh, aside from the original idea that he came in with just a couple things here and there of like, okay, repeat this section, add this section, blah, blah, blah. But the riffs themselves were that. Uh, originally it wasn't gonna be a bass intro, it was gonna be a guitar intro. And with uh, the bend in there, he's like, you know, maybe I'm gonna have to track it on the guitar myself because getting that bend right is gonna be really, really tough. I was like, you know what, dude, why don't you just do it on bass? You know how to do it. You are the one that wrote that part, just do it. And then that's how the bass intro came in and it sounded perfect like that uh lyrically um my fiance Teresa came up with the lyrics and the vocal melody for that one too uh it's a cool love song even bad boys have their soft sides how well
0: attended and what were your thoughts on how the uh lich king show in baltimore was
1: (laughs) dude let me tell you how great it was to be playing back live again man um over time baltimore has really become our home away from home and it was so nice to be welcomed back by them for our first concert since opening for MOD back in 2019. Uh, I can't believe it's been that long already. To be honest, <laughs> uh, the show was a two-nighter. Uh, we had played on Friday night, which was pretty close to capacity, and Saturday night was sold out by the end of the night. Oh man, we really missed this, and we really missed all of our friends in Maryland. It was truly a great night, and we can't wait to get back there again before too long.
0: Now, I noticed you were supposed to open for. Uh... Japan's loudness recently, but they called that off due to the visas. Uh, What do you see as the trend for bands touring in America as well as Europe right now?
1: Uh, It's at least the third or fourth time now it's been rescheduled, unfortunately, but it definitely is going to happen. Uh, Currently, it's pushed back, I believe, for May 2023. I want to say it's May 8th for some reason. It's sticking out my head. Um, I think there's going to be, in general, a lot more focus on the home continents for the time being, especially for the smaller bands. I think eventually things will get back on track. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of time, but we're going to get there and it's going to be fun again.
0: What are your three biggest rarities in your music collection?
1: <laughs> uh, I've got quite a lot of stuff. Uh, so biggest in terms of size. It, I'm actually expanding this beyond the three. Uh, so it's going to be the Kiss Pinball Machine uh, mm. is one of my biggest ones uh, for a couple of reasons. That one is actually obtained by the uh, late uh, Johnny Johnny and Marsha Zazola. They had it for, I think Johnny said he bought it in 1979 when it came out. And the cabinet itself is actually signed to uh, both Johnny and Marsha from Ace Frehley when he was signed to Megaforce. So that's something that I was like, yeah, there's quite a few thousand machines produced, but none were actually signed on the cabinet by Ace to Marsha and Johnny except for this one. Um, I actually also have uh, Ryan Lipnicki's uh, drum set from the Ironbound uh, tour with Overkill. I had the custom wraps from the album cover on it, so it was a one-off piece. And at that point, he didn't want to take the wraps off and just uh, do something else, so he decided to sell it and get another set because it looked so cool and special, you know. And that Overkill being my one, one of my favorite bands, it was something I had to have. <laughs> Price was right. Yeah. He's in Jersey too. Why not? Uh, I also have an overkill clock that I got from a friend of mine um, that she bought, uh, she actually won on the boardwalk in uh, Seaside, I think, back in the 80s. Uh, In terms of sheer rarity, I have an MOD shirt with uh, Sergeant D on the front. It was actually predating the USA for MOD record. So um, it's basically looks like very similar to the Speak English or Die album cover t shirt, but it's uh, all in red. It's got an MOD logo, and if the shoe fits, wear it instead of Speak English. Um, I also have uh, Spinal Tap Colander from 1992 mm. and a uh, toss-up between the Overkill Demos and uh, The Killing Is My Business uh, double album for or, uh, Music for Nations. I actually have a couple of them right here for your viewing pleasure as well. I've got Power and Black demo and if you can see it. Wow. Of course, the Spinal Tap Colander. The official 1992 calendar, they misspelled calendar as calendar. So they were supposed to send uh, 2,000 calendars out to um, the record industry. Instead, they had 2,000 calendars sent to them. That's the joke behind that one. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> what is your most cherished Midnight Hellion related possession?
1: Oh, I would actually have to say it would be the Kingdom Immortal album cover original painting, which I actually have right here. And you were actually the first person to see it outside of the band. Oh, wow. Cool. And my uh, fiance too. So everyone, and obviously the artists. Yeah. It's uh, something really, really cool. Cause they did a great job. Favorite urban legend or ghost
0: story from New Jersey.
1: Oof. There's a lot of great ones. Uh, I'd have to say the devil's tower in Alpine. Uh, there's just a certain kind of creepiness and evilness that emits from the tower itself, regardless of the original intent for the tower. And just whenever you go by there, it's just like, yeah, you always get tempted tr- to try it. Like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not going to put tent fate on this. I'm just going to drive around normally.
0: <laughs> would you like to go back to any questions?
1: Well, one thing I definitely would like to add is um, with regards to the, um, the three records with Alex, definitely as a whole it really came down to which albums sound the best to us over time. And we got a list going of all the albums and they all came back to having the same person on each of them, which was Alex Perry, Alice. And he just became like the defining uh, person to really do this, you know, for us. Final words. Thank you very much for having me today. This was a blast. It's been a long time since we saw each other in person yeah. too, man. And it's always a great time hanging out with you. And I really, take, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with me today and for all the support you give all the bands and for plugging us, coming out to the shows, doing what you're doing, man. We can't do it without people like you.
0: Do appreciate it. This has been an interview with Midnight Hellion drummer Drew Rizzo on Monday, March 14th, 2022 by Nick Perkel.